How's everybody doing today? It's going to be a good day. I just want to briefly, uh, before we jump into everything, just invite you uh, along with me to honor our lead pastors, Pastors J.O. and Ray Dean, just for all that they've done in serving us, being obedient to God's call. Will you put your hands together for them? We don't ever elevate a human being above the place of God, of course, not even close, but we're just so thankful for who they are, and we're all, we've all been impacted by them. And, and, I, and I also should say this, uh, being that I'm here and not J.O., uh, my name is Craig. If you don't know who I am, uh, they call me the Generations Pastor here. I just serve and support all the areas from 0 to 28. Um, but I just want to say this. It, it says something about their leadership and how, they, how much they believe in empowering people, that he would allow somebody else to, to preach an opening message of a nine-week series like this. And so I count it an honor that you would allow me to do that. Um, not many, I would imagine, lead pastors would be interested in letting somebody else fill their pulpit to start a series like this. And so I just think that that's very honorable that they would allow that. Amen. So we're starting a nine-week sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. I know. It's exciting. Now I'd imagine in this room there's probably at least three groups of people. The excited, the apprehensive, and the don't know, don't know if I care. So if you're excited right now, it's, it might be because you grew up, say, in the Catholic church, or maybe you grew up in a Lutheran church, or maybe you grew up in a theologically reformed church. Maybe you grew up in a church that has to do with liturgy. Uh, that's not necessarily something that our church uh, does very often, but if you grew up in that type of church, you might be thinking right now, are you serious? This is awesome. I didn't know we were allowed to do this in a non-denominational church. And then there's the apprehensive people that you did not grow up in a Catholic or liturgical or Reformed uh, theologically church. Or maybe you, what you think that you think about some of those traditions scares you a little bit. And you might be thinking, are you serious? This seems a little crazy. I didn't know we were allowed to do this in a non-denom church. And then there's a third group of people that I don't know, it might be the majority of you that you don't even really know what the Apostles' Creed is or what a creed is at all other than the band from the 90s, which I've sung every other service, but with arms wide open under the sunlight. I feel like if you're going to fill J.O.'s pulpit, you have to sing at some point during a message, you know? Like, it's just... It's a fact, and, and, and it works out that I'm a terrible singer, and so is Creed, so just choking. I'm a 90s kid. I grew up on that stuff. I love them. Check my Instagram for a video of Seth, though. It's, it's great. And, and, and if that's you, if, if you don't, like, know anything at all about what a creed is and it feels like a little old-fashioned to you or, or you're just like, I don't know, this feels a little weird, then for wherever you are, wherever you're on the spectrum, we believe that you are going to be, uh, you're going to learn, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be stretched, and we believe that this series, we believe, 
is going to be a blessing not only to you individually, but to our church as a community. And so uh, I just want to, I'll address like one line, and, and though I do appreciate and like a certain degree of uncomfortableness, I'll, I'll kind of put the elephant on the table. Some of you maybe are a little concerned or curious about the line that you've heard in there, the Holy Catholic Church. And, uh, and I just, I want to say to you, that's it's actually one of the lines that I'm most excited about because what it teaches us about where we come from. That word Catholic actually means universal. And, and matter of fact, this creed, this statement of faith that we're going to learn about today and moving forward, this was developed over the first 100, 200, 300 years A.D., whereas the Roman Catholic Church, as you and I know it, didn't even come to officially exist until the year 1054. So there's something beautiful about that terminology and knowing that, that we come or we're a part of a church. That is that every true believer is in the same church. There's no denominations. There's no different heavens for us one day. We're all part of the same body of Christ. Amen? And so there's something beautiful about studying something that came long before some of the traditions that you and I think about today because it's what we see and it's what we feel. This came from long ago. So I'm going to read the creed one last time. You've heard it already. We sung about it. It was the third song. It was based on the Apostles' Creed. And, and then the video, of course, was the, the exact lines. And I'm just going to read it one last time as we jump into this series. It says this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. That's going to be a fun week. <laughs> By the way, there's a reason we put the woman who was smiling while she said that line in the video. It's going to be good. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So, today, I consider it my primary purpose to get you to see and understand why you should even care at all about this series. So, I'm going to make it my strive to preach the Bible talk a little bit about this creed and what creeds are in general, and then preach the Bible again. And my hope is that your, your passions would be uh, brought up in you to believe upon God, not necessarily to believe the creed per se, but to allow the creed to form your belief, not only in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but in God's word. Amen? So if you have a Bible, we turn to Romans chapter 10. That's where we're going to start. And uh, we're going to read a couple verses there. Uh, we're going to talk about what the Word of God says. I'm going to preach the Bible. And then I'm going to talk about the creed in regards to the Bible. And then, again, we're going to close with the Bible. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find it on, on your phone in the YouVersion app or even on the screen behind me. If you've never written, uh, read, written, if you've never read this book before in the New Testament, it, it might be the greatest theological work in the whole New Testament. I mean, the depth the depths of truth that Paul wrote about as he penned this book are just uh, so amazing. If you've read it before, you know that it speaks to your soul. It speaks to God's character. It speaks towards grace and forgiveness and what faith is. And Paul spends nine chapters writing about the reality 
of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And here about chapter 10, he starts to turn this corner and he starts to talk about what the truth of God should mean in our life, namely, namely that there should be a response to it, belief and confession. And then he goes on to express even further that there should be a sacrifice and obedience to find that in Romans chapter 12 where he, he says we should lay down our life as a living sacrifice. But right here, it, it sort of states what we believe uh, as Jesus followers to be the cornerstone of how we even enter into relationship with God and what that looks like. And this is what it says in Romans 10, starting in verse nine. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's an aspect of believing, and there's an aspect of confession, and of course if you take the whole uh, New Testament together, there's of course an aspect of obedience in walking it out. So as we jump into this, will you just pray with me and let's just ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. God, we worship you this morning. Uh, we're here for you and for you alone. We've sung to you and lifted our hearts to you and lifted our voices to you. And right now, we acknowledge that you're in this place. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you. We ask that you would open up your word through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us from the inside out. And as we leave this place, that we would leave change, that we would leave in your commissioning to build your kingdom in this city and in our lives. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that what you believe has everything to do with who you are in this life. I mean, it's true. What you, what you really believe deep down in your spirit or in your heart truly impacts who you are, what you say, what you do, where you go. It has to do with your integrity, has to do with your level of honor and respect, how you treat people, how you treat your wife, how you treat your coworkers. It has to do with how you spend your money. What you really believe truly impacts your life. And that's not always the case for what you know. Sometimes we can know facts know things like in our brain, but we don't truly believe them because it doesn't change what we do. I mean, you know that McDonald's is horrible for you, yet those fries are so good, you know? And it's like, I know it, but like I'm gonna get them anyway. But if you truly believed like that was gonna give you cancer and you truly believed it, you would never go. And I don't know, I'm not, you know, if this is on video, I don't know, I'm not saying anything about McDonald's. I'm just saying there are things that sometimes we know that don't necessarily affect what we truly believe deep in the depths of who we are and how it affects our life. Let me illustrate it this way. You've, you've heard of Charles Darwin. Uh, he's sort of the, the author of modern day evolution and he came up with all these theories that talked about evolution and that there's no God that created us and so on and so forth. And whether you've recognized it or not, the, the theory of evolution has implications that go far beyond whether or not human beings came from monkeys. The, the ideological implications of the uh, evolutionary belief and atheistic belief stretches into our culture in a great and very profound and very sad way. Seven years after Charles Darwin's death, a young man was born. The year was 1889. 
And this young man grew up in a country that was sort of devastated after a war. They were poor. People were downcast. People were looking for something to follow and something to believe in. And yet this young man adhered to the teachings that he had been taught that came originally through Darwin and and others after him. And he, he started believing that the human species was no different than any other animal species. And he started to truly believe deep in his spirit that it was the survival of the fittest that really mattered on this planet. He started to believe that if you were strong and you could exercise authority over another human being, it was no different than any big animal in the animal kingdom overtaking a smaller animal in the kingdom. In fact, this young man believed it so much, he said this, when I look at nature, I see that nature is cruel. Therefore, we too can be cruel. And he believed this. So much so that when he was 30 years old, ironically, the same age that Jesus was when he started his ministry, this person started with a few of his unemployed friends, a very small, seemingly influential group of people in the country of Germany. And it wasn't but a few years later that because of his belief of exercising authority over other people because morality and ethics don't really matter. It matters whether or not you can overtake and control somebody else so you can get ahead. In fact, that ideological view states this. If you have the ability to take power from somebody else, you should or else you're weak and you too should be killed. And so you know what happened. His name was Adolf Hitler and he is the reason for some six million plus deaths. Why did he do that? Why did he pursue the the horrific things that he pursued? It's because he believed it. It affected what he did in this planet. He created death and anarchy. And it's affected all of us to this day. Conversely, there was another group of people, seemingly inconsequential people in their own right, a group of 12 and a few others that, believed a quite different story about humanity and about the reality of God and about whether there was a creator. And the disciples truly believed that there was one God and that he was a father and he was almighty. They believed that he created everything and they believed that if they would honor him, that they would learn how to live in this life. These 12 disciples actually believed that God sent his very person in in the person of Jesus Christ, that all of it, the fullness of his DNA put skin on and moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus Christ. That God came to earth in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. They actually believed that. They didn't just believe in some religion or some ideology or some philosophy or 12 steps to a better life. They believed in the person of Jesus. They believed that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They believed that there was a God that could do the impossible on this earth and that a virgin could give birth to God in the flesh. They believed that he died under the reign of Pontius Pilate. That is to say that he wasn't just a hologram. He didn't just pretend to be human. He was actually human, feeling the same things that you and I feel. He actually felt the beating and the whipping and the the murder and the torture on the cross. They believed that he died fully and completely. He didn't just act or pretend like he was dead or he was still kind of like in a coma. He was fully dead. And they believed that he rose three days later, that God raised him from the grave. That he, and as he rose, they believed that they too would rise one day. And they believed that there was a Holy Spirit that would live inside of them. 
They believed these things. And that's why you and I are sitting here today. There's something that if you truly believe it deep inside your spirit, it will change you. So I want to ask you today, are the things that you believe about God or the things that you've come to believe through church or through Bible study, are they merely cerebral? Or do you believe from your heart? Because what we find in this passage is, is a number of things. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. It says this, but uh, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one, one confesses and is saved. There's an order to this thing. For the believer in Jesus, the believer in the Bible, the believer in the God that we follow, order is, a, is of utmost importance. Have you learned that yet? There, there's countless religions out there that would teach you that if you do X, Y, and Z, you can somehow earn a position with God. That's categorically opposite from what you and I believe. We believe that God has given us forgiveness and salvation free of charge. It comes to us by grace and we receive it through faith and faith alone. And it's only when we receive God's grace, forgiveness, love, and salvation that we're now finally enabled to act in a way that would even be God-honoring or God-pleasing at all. It's not the other way around. You know, order is important in this life. You don't put your clothes on and then take a shower. We believe that one should get married and then participate in marital activities. We actually believe that. And everybody said amen. We believe that we need to put our faith in Jesus, not only in our mind, but in our heart. We believe it, and then we confess it, and then we let it change our actions. Amen? Amen. So I think I should probably uh, talk a little bit about what a creed is and what this creed is and, and help you understand why, again, you should care. Of course, as I've described, everything about what we talk about week in and week out, really, we're trying to get to the heart of what you believe and what you put your faith in. And then secondly, of course, how it affects your life and what you do with it as you leave this place and how you live your life and how you honor God or don't honor God with those beliefs. But true beliefs will always lead to action. And so what we're going to do over the next eight weeks after, after this message is we're going to walk our, ourselves through the Apostles' Creed and... Um, we're going to allow it to sort of guide us towards understanding the Bible. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of walk through what a creed is uh, in four ways. First, I'm going to talk about kind of two affirmatives, two, two like highs, and then I would consider it to be two lows, uh, two things that the creed isn't really. So first, I'm going to talk about what, what a creed is and what the Apostles' Creed is. Secondly, I'm going to talk about what the creed is not. Then I'm going to talk about what the creed does not do for us. And then lastly, we're going to discuss what the creed does for us. And if you haven't figured it out, this message might be a little bit more teaching than we're normally used to. Uh, those of us who are on the preaching team, we've, we've kind of discussed this. We're all going to collaborate through this series. We're, we're doing this series at youth, young adults, and the weekends. And we're all going to be stretched theologically and academically through this. We'd invite you to join us on that journey. And... Uh, I believe that as J.O. preaches, you're going to get all the exhortation and passion that you've ever wanted, but we're all going to be stretched a little bit theologically, and that's exciting for us. So here we go. What is a creed at all? 
I, I'm not familiar with that term, Craig. You know, I don't know much about it. And uh, I'll say this. First of all, a creed is just a symbol. It's something that we can look at, adhere to, that represents something bigger than itself. We see symbols in our culture all the time. Every, every business that you know of has a logo, you know, the Nike swoosh. That's a symbol that represents the greater company. You, many of us wear something around our neck, a cross on a chain, and we, we recognize that that doesn't just represent two pieces of metal put in the shape of a T. We recognize that that symbol represents something far greater than itself. You know what a creed is, even if you don't know it. We put that picture up. This is a creed. Will you put that picture up, Joel? Have you seen this creed? You may not have known that this was a creed, but it is. This is the Jesus fish. You live in America. I'm sure you know what a Jesus fish is because you've seen it on the back of people's cars. You might even have one. And the the super spiritual people have the Jesus fish that's eating the little Darwin fish, you know? (laughs) So maybe you've seen it like this. Uh, and, you, and you've wondered, like, I-X-O-Y-E, I don't, I don't know what that is, but okay, I, I just know that the fish represents Christianity or Jesus or whatever, but you may not know this, but this is actually one of the very first statements of faith that the believers adhere to together. A creed really is just a statement of faith that people can grab onto together in unity and agree upon. And so if you put that last slide up, this is what uh, the Jesus fish represents, and, and you may not care, and it really doesn't matter towards this series at all, but I just thought it was noteworthy. The Jesus fish uh, represents uh, just five simple words, but really a creed that people from the very beginning were like, hey, what do we all really believe together? And so uh, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. That's what those letters are. Uh, it would be like an acronym, really, is what it is. As if you and I made an acronym with the word fish and, and made one word for F, one word for I, one word for S, one word for H. That's what they did in the beginning. The word for fish is ichthus. And so they chose five words that they believed. And those words in the Greek uh, are Iesus, Christos, Theos, Huios, and Soter, which means Jesus Christ. God's son, savior. So it's very small and very simple, but this is what the early believers, they, they agreed together. We believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and he's our savior. You, you know, another thing that has been said over the, over the years is that in the early days when Christianity was illegal and you, you couldn't really talk about it in public without fear of even being killed, on the dusty streets, when somebody would be in, in, in the middle of town, they might draw half of the fish with their foot, and if there was another believer that agreed with the statement of faith, they might draw with their foot the other half of the fish. That's another uh, kind of historical fact of how the fish came to be, but, but this is actually where it came from. And I'll just throw this out there for fun because I like it. Uh, the The... <laughs> The X that you would see there, it's the Greek letter chi. It's the first letter in the word Christ, which is Greek. And so when we live in this culture that says, oh, they're Xing out Christmas because it says Xmas and all those things, it's actually incorrect. Believers like you and I have been using X as a shorthand way to describe or to you for the word Christ for hundreds of years. And so next time somebody Xs out Christ and Christmas and they think they're getting you, you could just thank them for using the original language. Yeah, because that's Christ's name. Oh, I didn't know you're so theological. Thank you for using the Greek. So we're not talking about the Jesus fish in this series. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed 
aside from the fish, is really the first universally accepted ecumenical statement of faith that sort of boiled down the entire teaching of the apostles into a simple, understandable statement. At least this is what history tells us. It was during the year first century, second century, and at the very, very latest, by the end of the third century, that this statement of faith, this symbol that we read and we've sung about came to be. Again, the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church didn't officially come to be until the year 1054 AD, so you could see how this was hundreds of years prior to this. And, and what was going on was this. This is not the Bible. This is believers that were following Jesus that were received from Peter and Paul, and, and they're sort of just trying to figure out what does this life look like following Jesus. And as churches popped up in cities and believers spread throughout the, the Middle East, they, they started to believe similar things based on the apostles' teachings, and so they came up with this statement of faith. Some people, uh, some theologians think that on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, because there's 12 disciples that before they left the room, they all came up with one statement and they compiled them together and that's the Apostles' Creed. And that most likely didn't happen, but it's kind of cool to think about. Most theologians though believe that we call it the Apostles' Creed because it encapsulate the Apostles' teachings and they developed over 100 years. So that's what of the creed is that we're studying. There are other creeds you could look at, like the Nicene Creed or the Chalcedonian Creed, and, and those you could study on your own time. We're, we're taking ourselves back to the very beginning because it's the foundation, and we're linking ourselves with believers that have extended way beyond any denomination, any particular church that you and I recognize today. We're linking ourselves not only with biblical Christianity, but first, second, third, fourth, fifth century Christianity, our brothers and sisters. So, what a creed is not, briefly, it is not a brainwashing technique. We're not just going to repeat this over and over and over. It's not a mantra. It's not something that, uh, you know, we're just going to try and shove in your brain and have you memorized to sort of brainwash you. That's not what it is at all. It's, it's merely something that will guide us towards understanding the Bible, which brings us to the most important point. It is not the Bible. The creed is not God's word. We don't claim that it's God's word. It's not infallible. It, all that it does is it points us back to God's word. It gives us a way of, of understanding God's word in symmetry and simplicity. So just to, just to be clear here from the beginning, over the next eight weeks, we're gonna preach God's word, but we're gonna, we're gonna preach God's word through the lens of the different lines of the creed. So put it like this, you know, when you look at the moon, some nights you look at it and it's bright and some nights it's dull. Either way, when you look at the moon, the moon is not emitting any light of its own. The moon is merely reflecting the light of the sun. It's the same with the creed. The creed has no true power in and of itself, but if it reflects the light of God's word, then it has purpose for us. Amen. So we're all on the same page with that. We're not, our intention is not to preach the creed. Our intention is to use the creed to preach the Bible. Amen. Awesome. So what the creed does not do, memorizing it doesn't make you believe it. Memorizing the creed does not mean that you believe it. And that's a fact with any scripture that we might memorize or any statement that we might memorize. It doesn't mean that we believe it. Uh, if we believe it, we believe it. And I don't have it memorized. You might choose to memorize it by the end of this. And if you do, hallelujah. But remember, belief and faith always starts in our heart, not only in our mind. Secondly, knowing the creed doesn't save us. Faith saves us. 
God saves us by grace through faith, God alone, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, get excited about that because we believe that. We believe that. And lastly, what a creed does. And this is, what I, this is personally what I feel like this is really important. This is why you should care. This is why you should even come back for the eight weeks uh, and, and desire to walk with us on this journey. This is why you should even care that we're talking about something that was created so many hundreds of years, almost 2,000 years ago, because it links us. It links us to three things uh, in particular. One, it links us to the word. Again, the creed is not the word, but it links us to the word. If I were to ask you, and, or we were just to you know, say, hey, let's, let's put our service on pause, and let's just get together in groups, and let's just say, hey, of everything that you know about the New Testament, everything that you believe, what, is, what are the most essential things? What are the things that you really, like, we all need to be on the same page with this? And we just sort of sat around little small groups and did that. I wonder what we would come up with. It's, it's really cool because I'd imagine that most of us, J.O., those of us that speak here, we probably have preached the truths found in the creed forever. You've heard messages on the truths found in the creed forever, but you've never maybe put them together in this way that there's uh, symmetry. And so there's something beautiful about going through the creed because it's, it's probably the truths that we already preach about and we already know, but there's something beautiful about lining us up together with the essentials of what the New Testament teaches. So it links us to the word. Secondly, it links us to history. It's, it's so cool to know that you and I are part of a greater body of believers that is not only on this planet. Like, we can think about believers in Africa or Asia and like, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. And now more than any time in history, we have an ability to be linked with them through the internet and Skype and those things. And, and there's sort of this global community of people. But, you know, we're also part of a historical community. I, find, I personally find a great joy knowing that the, the faith that I adhere to, that I believe with all that I am, didn't start in the 1800s in America. It didn't start in the 1500s. It started with Jesus and the church that Jesus started building, a church that hell would not come against or not be overcome. That church started with Jesus and it's continued through today and we're a part of that. You know, the Bible talks about the great cloud of witnesses and we're a part of that. There's something beautiful about, about linking ourselves towards brothers and sisters of the past and knowing that we're on the same page with what people have believed for 2,000 years. We're not just coming up with it. J.O. and Ray Dean don't just come up with the philosophy of what we're going to do in the church. They base everything that they do, and we try by God's grace to do everything that we do based on God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that it would do for us, if you would allow it, it, it would link us together. It would link us together. You know, there are certain things that we, there are certain creeds that we have as a church that, that in, in small ways link us together. You know, J.O. says this all the time. You're somewhere. In the future, and you look much better than you do right now. Ha! Ha! That's a creed. That is a statement of faith that we would choose to believe as a community. We believe that God is doing something in us together and we look better in the future. You know, we have things that we believe together. And, and I'll just say this, in a culture that is so disunified, 
There's something that will be so beautiful about a church joining together in unity, which also is why I'm so excited about that message when we believe in the Holy Catholic Church because we need, if nothing less in this world today, unity. It is lacking. And I hope that we preach on John 17 when we get there, but we need unity. Imagine what it would look like if just the community of Heart of the City Church was so for each other, so with each other, so on the same page with what we believed that it changed our lives, not just the people on staff or the pastors of the church, but every single one of us. We believed it so wholeheartedly that as we left this place, we all knew that we were kingdom builders wherever we went. Do you believe it? Man, we would flip this city upside down. If we believe this together, it will change not only our faith community, but our city. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Seth, if you, Seth, are you here? Cool. Join me. We're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed for the next eight weeks. We're going to use the Apostles' Creed to lead us back to the Word. And we're going to do our best to open up what God's truth means for us in our life, in our history, and as we leave the walls of this church. We're going to ask God through the power of his Holy Spirit to teach us individually and as a community. And we're going to ask God to give us true heart belief. Whatever it is that he wants us to believe, we want to believe it. And we want it to affect our lives. There was a group of people that so believed these truths that it changed their life completely and it changed the world completely. There was a people that believed so wholeheartedly in the teachings of Jesus that they, they laid down their entire life to follow him. You know, this idea that, that Jesus was just, uh, his body was just stolen from the grave is, is crazy. They believed it. They believed in who he was, and it affected their life. And it started to affect the whole world around them. Uh, the, up until the point of Jesus setting the church free, for the most part, peoples on this earth operated within the context of geography, politics, and empires. And as Jesus entered the scene, as you might know from history, Rome, the Roman Empire, ruled the land, geographically speaking, even the land of Israel. And, and what happened when the church was set free, Rome didn't know what to do with these people because all of a sudden they started seeing in these people uh, a, a belief and a commitment to a kingdom that no longer had to do with one emperor or one dictator or even geographical lines of what country they belonged to. They started seeing a people that had a pledge of allegiance to another kingdom. In fact, that's what the word in Romans 10 means when it says we confess with our mouth. It doesn't just mean to speak something empty. It means to make a pledge of allegiance, of faith. Most of us grew up in school probably reciting the Pledge of Allegiance and you had it memorized and you may or may not have believed it, but you knew it by heart and you said it. The church became a people that believed and pledged their allegiance to another kingdom. And the society around them all of a sudden didn't know what to do with these people. It was a different kingdom than one that they had ever seen before. And there was a writer that wrote in the year 120 AD, and he wrote about this new movement that he was observing. And you could find this online if you desire to look it up. It's called A Letter to Diognetus. 
and he's describing what he describes as the new commonwealth. This new society of people that can't be categorized in the same categories that everybody else on the planet can be categorized in. He started to describe this people that had a pledge of allegiance to another kingdom and another emperor. And this is what he says about those people, our brothers and sisters, indeed us. He said, Christians are not to be distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak in some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric lifestyle. What he's saying is that I'm, observe, I'm starting to observe these people that they didn't create their own country and it's a Christian country. They didn't create, you know, go and conquer some land and by a geography say, oh, that's where the Christians live, like other nations. He started to say that they live amongst everybody in every country and they, they kind of look just like the rest of us at first, but there's something different about them. While they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, each one's lot as he was cast, they follow the local, local customs and dress and food and aspects of life. And at the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own true citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They live, uh, but only as aliens. They participate in everything as citizens yet they endure everything as foreigners. Listen to this. Every foreign country is their fatherland and every fatherland is foreign to them. That is to say that wherever a believer goes, they're never really at home. They're just an alien because we belong to another kingdom. If you ever feel like you're a displaced person and you don't truly belong anywhere, it's because it's true. You belong in heaven. Conversely, you also should know that no matter where you go, no matter where you put your foot, anywhere on this planet, it's yours because it first belongs to God and God owns everything. No matter what political system says, no matter what an emperor says, you know what? God owns this world. We believe it. I don't care who tells me I can't pray in school because every breath in my lungs is a prayer unto God. I believe it and so nobody can take that from me. We believe in a God that owns everything. And so everywhere we go, it's ours. They marry like everyone else. They have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but they live as citizens of heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. Is that you? They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, and yet they bless. They are insulted, and yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers, and when they are punished, they rejoice because it's as if they were brought to life. There was a people that lived long before us that so believed in a God and Father Almighty 
a creator of heaven and earth. They so believed that he sent his son, God in the flesh to us, to die on the cross, to be buried and to rise. There was a people that so believed that there was a holy presence of God that lives in them. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lived in these people and we believe he lives in us. There was a people that so believed this that they allowed it to change their life and in turn change the world. Would you go with us over the next eight weeks and allow God and all that he is in his character as a father, son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, would we allow him to change us individually and as a faith community together as we come to believe? Amen. Will you stand to your feet as we close this service?